just working through this, this scripture, which is really interesting because really Lent is a time of preparation and to prepare and waiting on what is coming. And the book of Habakkuk, uh, Habakkuk, Habakkuk is, um, is really uh, this, this prophet who is crying out for justice and it just doesn't seem like God is bringing it. And so he's in a season of waiting as well. And so we get to study Lent through that lens. And while we're doing it, though, we don't want it just to be and it's something we talk about every Sunday, but maybe something that we do as a faith community together. And so this is really some suggested things you could do with either your restore group or your family or personally or whatever it may be. Um, one side is just uh, different things you could do from scripture reading to uh, the practice of fasting over Lent is not just about withdrawing from something or withholding something from you, but it's to do something in place of that, that might specifically be towards impacting someone in need. And uh, so some of the things through here, you can check this out. For example, I encourage you to, as Jason taught last week, a reminder that the 40 days of Lent do not include the Sabbath, don't include Sunday intentionally, because that's a day to actually break that fast and to celebrate. And so we encourage you, use Sunday evenings to... Invite family, friends, your restore group over. Have a meal together. Celebrate this season um, as, we, as, we, as we move forward. And then also one of the things is just to think about our sacrifice. Um, what kind of sacrifices are we making? And maybe to be prayerful about God, is there a new thing in my life that you want to bring into this season? Maybe it's a new focus each week that's just something that's temporary. Maybe it's something that's going to be long-lasting. I don't know what it may be, but it's always good for us as we prepare to hear from the Lord, as we wait to be able to then actively um, give something of ourselves in, in that time. And um, those times for me, I know in our family, have been some of the most significant times in, in our journey. So we want to encourage you to think about that. In line with that, today around the nation, uh, churches are celebrating a thing called uh, Freedom Sunday. And Freedom Sunday is something that we've, we've been a part of over the last several years in which it's just an emphasis on awareness and fighting human trafficking in the world. A lot of people are unaware. If you've been around ANC, you're very aware uh, of the fact that there are more slaves today in the world than has, ever in the history of the world. Um, different forms, different kinds um, and just increasing that awareness and education is something we've always been about, but we've always committed this Sunday, um, to give, um, a, a huge part of who we are and what we have, uh, to a global initiative, uh, that fights human trafficking and injustice in that way. And so this year we're going to continue that pattern. And as we prayerfully, we think about these things, there's different ways to address issues of injustice. One way is through um, rescue. And we know many different ways you can respond to different issues in the world, whether it's poverty, the orphan crisis, human trafficking. It's the same thing. There's rescue. We, we received an email this week of a girl who was being trafficked around from city to city by a man who had, ex- and she had escaped and was looking for refuge. In- and believe it or not, there are, there are, um, the numbers, I think the number is correct, less than 110, less 106, 108 beds in the United States of America that are committed to rescue for victims who have been rescued out of forced prostitution or slavery. Um, that's too small. There's just this, this place. It's, there's a huge, huge need. 
for these things. But one of the things we've tried to do as a church is we've grown in issues of justice in the world, as well as locally, is to not only be concerned about rescue and responding, but then also to educate ourselves more and more on prevention so that we can break, help be a part of breaking that cycle, not just recovery. Probably 90 to 95% of most things with justice issues are, are, are recovery or rescue. Um, when the root of those things, though, always seem to go back, where we, we trace them back to the root, systemic issues are always related to poverty. Almost always related to poverty and vulnerable people because of poverty. Almost every issue, whether it's the orphan crisis or even dealing just so many different things, go back into poverty. And so this year I had the opportunity to go to Ethiopia and Uganda with uh, one of our partner organizations, Help One Now. And um, one of the most significant parts of, of the trip, we were in southwestern Ethiopia and we were visiting with some leaders in uh, a, a town or area called uh, Gunsheri. And in this area, there is a leader named uh, Achalo who was working in an orphanage specifically designed to help reunify uh, uh, orphans with their parents, children that should not have been orphaned, whether they were trafficked, um, whether they were abandoned because of they just needed help and they didn't know how to get it, whatever it may be. That's specifically what they were doing. Amazing ministry. But while we were there, what they were doing were they were going out into the community. And this community is, um, a, because of the religious practices there, um, it's a very high, um, there's a very high uh, uh, AIDS and HIV rate, uh, very high poverty, and very high oppression of women in this community. And so they were going out into the community while we were there and finding the most vulnerable families, the most vulnerable children in the community and connecting with them, finding out what their greatest needs are with the desire to create sponsorships for these families to prevent them from becoming kids with no education, growing up with no health care, maybe being abandoned, being orphaned, being trafficked. So this is one of the most vulnerable communities that we were able to go into and work with these families. And so I think we have, I think we just have a couple of, of images from some of the kids that we were um, uh, working with there. Do you have those? There's some beautiful pictures, some of the kids. Go scroll on through. Uh, let's stop right there. This is uh, Bahiru. I think that's how you say it. Is that how you say it? You remember? Bahiru and his mom, who's blind. And uh, they're one of the families that, that we're working with, that Achalo, who is the next picture, I think, this leader. This guy's just an amazing, godly man. Um, first found out about her, trying to take care of her son. She's blind, has no source of income. They, they reached out to her, built her a home, gave her a milk cow, some chickens, and are working with her. And they're, they're together in a, in a stable situation now. So one of the things that we're going to do as a part of Freedom Sunday is we're going to encourage you as, as a faith community to consider sponsoring one of these kids. And so we're partnering with Help One Now. And I know a lot of you are already sponsoring kids in India and in Peru and Haiti and all over the place. So if God puts on your heart 
to do something new, maybe for this Lent season, to do something new for this time, whatever. And, and you want to consider prevention to be a part of this community renewal. Also understand that this community two years ago, I think he said it was 98% Muslim. Now, since they've been working in there, there, there is just massive transformation beginning to happen in the community. And so um, there was a table outside when we're done here today. And we would love for you to go check it out and consider uh, sponsoring one of these families. Uh, who are these, the, specifically the children who are some of the most vulnerable. Another thing we're doing uh, that we want to, I want to just to put on your radar, we're partnering locally with, uh, uh, with uh, we have a, another opportunity coming up with uh, Mobile Loves of Fishes and Community First. I don't know if you're familiar with them in our city. They work with the homeless community. Community First is specifically an organization, uh, a, a strategically master plan community for a disabled and chronically homeless of Austin. And they have a program called Genesis Gardens where they work with the community and with the city community uh, to um, grow produce and take care of all this organic farming and things like that. And we are looking for a couple of teams of just four people, four to five people who would be interested in being a part of that specifically. What they would do is they would take the harvested produce that's already been taken and would deliver it to the residents who live in the communities in different places. So uh, twice a month, you would make a uh, delivery to four to five residents of the community. So you get to know them and bring them the food and, and just to be able to be in their, in their homes and in their, in their lives in that way. And so if you are interested in that, I want to encourage you um, on your info card inside the bulletin, just write garden on top of it and your name and a contact info. And I will get back with you. I'm going to be working hand in hand with that as well. So as you're thinking about Lent, you're thinking about new opportunities, new ways to pour into your community, to sacrificially give it yourself outside of what you might normally do, maybe consider one of those two things. Okay. Um, now, if you're new to Austin New Church, welcome. Uh, you just got a little bit of glimpse of what we're about. Um, you know, it's um, our, our heart and our focus to be good news to our community. We don't always do that very well. We really try, though. And we really believe that when we do that, that not only will the kingdom be proclaimed, but then we will be transformed. We will be changed. I grew up in church, doing all the programs and the studies and all those things, and they were amazing. There's a fantastic foundation that I grew from that, that came from that. But it's when we begin to live that out, really do it, is when you begin to see the Spirit transforming your heart and your mind. You begin to see things differently. You begin to view people differently. And so I just want to encourage, welcome you, Austin New Church, and um, let you know that's why we talk about these crazy things. Um, all right, let's pray and then open your Bibles to Habakkuk chapter 1. Oh, I'm out of time. I'm kidding. <clears throat> um, Father, I pray that you would lead us in this season of Lent. Pray, God, that we would not just go through the motions, but we would consider the depth of what's happening. Pray as we, as we um, take these days in approaching uh, the cross, um, that we would just consider deeply our walk with you. And we would consider deeply that all of these scriptures we look at in the Old Testament, that scripture of the prophet, from the prophets, foretell the coming of the Messiah. And that's what we await on Resurrection Sunday. And so, um, thank you for life. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. May we learn to truly love mercy that we might extend it to one another. And as we study Habakkuk, this this short book in the Old Testament, God, I pray that you would help us to see ourselves in this scripture. 
and to help us see you in the scripture. Um, Not just for the sake of ourselves, but for the sake of a better way that is only possible through Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we read the first four verses. It was setting the stage of the scripture. Uh, Habakkuk is seeing all this injustice in the world, and he's starting to get frustrated with God because God doesn't seem to be doing anything about it. And it's injustice all over the world, but also within his own camp, within Israel, within Judah, the southern kingdom. There's all this injustice. And he says, how long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law, therefore the law is paralyzed. He's telling God, the law you gave us, the thing you said to keep order, it's nothing's happening like you. And justice never prevails. It's pretty overstated. You ever do that? Who never prevails, God? Sound, sound like we're in elementary school there. The wicked him in the righteous so that justice is perverted. So some, some pretty huge accusations here uh, Habakkuk is making. And um, we know the storyline. For those of you who didn't hear Jason teach last week, you need to go online and listen to his amazing introduction of the book. Um, and it, asks, I, it begs the question for me, when you personally, when you get mad at God, uh, what are you most likely mad about? When you get mad or frustrated or confused at God, you know, we, can we be honest? Can we be vulnerable with each other? I know we get, I, there's times we get mad at God. Or we get fr- or we, what, what, it, what usually frustrates you? Slow down. Something selfish. Good. What else? Money. Would you feel like your provision you're not getting? That provision, where God was your provision. What else? God not working fast enough for us. Good choice of wording. What else? Because I didn't get it, the answer I wanted. Hey, God, we just want to see this. No, like, like I want it. Not like you want it. What else? When he's silent. Don't you hate being ignored? <clears throat> Thank you for answering. That's funny. What else? The unknown. Fear of the unknown. You're frustrated. It's interesting. Yeah, we always like, if you'll just tell me, I'll do it, right? Yeah, right. What else? Let's say that. When bad things happen to good people. Right. And when bad things happen. And some, some would say, well, good things happen to bad people. Why them, right? Um, it, it's interesting. We, we have all these, these things. The things I, as the more and more I try to do right, you know, try. I mean try. And, and the more and more I see people around me who are fighting for something. I think about, for example, working in the homeless community. Sometimes you just, you work and you work and you work and you work and you try and some, it just never seems to get the result you're hoping for, you know? And it gets more and more frustrating. For me, you know, the more I see injustice, it makes me want to get mad at God. Um, when slowness, when he's like, hurry God, you know, that makes me frustrated 
his lack of presence. You know, it's like, where are you right now? You know, this, I'd like to see you um, more active in what, what's going on in my life right now, God. So, because we want to be validated and we want to make, you know, all these things. But I think as we continue to study this book, we'll find quite a bit of, in, quite a bit of insight um, to not only understand how he was feeling, but what God was doing, how he was responding, and what was really going behind the scenes. Because it's almost like we could put ourselves in, in our different complaints in, his, in Habakkuk's shoes, but we don't get the luxury of necessarily hearing audibly or reading how God's response or how he's working. And so there's an opportunity in this, this study, I think, to actually find, you know, find ourselves and to be able to add a little bit of context to what's going on. So verse 5 starts with the Lord's answer. So, so he cries out, why the injustice? Why is nothing going right? How could you allow this? <clears throat> and God responds, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. So this verse begins to give us some insight of how God works. Okay, and the first thing he tells us, he says, I want you to look, I want you to look at the nations. What is, what is this saying to you? Right there, just simplify it. Right there, what is that saying to you? Anything? There's a big perspective. I mean, he's complaining about what he wants and what he sees, and instantly God just says, I want you to look at the nations. I want you to look bigger. I want you to think beyond just yourself. I want you to, the one thing that I'm noticing about God is his work, when he's at, at work and when he's moving, it always goes beyond just us. It almost always, maybe it does always, it almost always includes an opportunity for us to be a part of it in which it will radically change us. But it always stretches us beyond ourselves. One of the most dangerous things, okay, is, well, let me not get, why is this different than what we might intuitively think? How is this different? Well, we might usually just go to us, right? Um, why, why do we go to ourselves? Why is it that we instantly want to just think about how things impact us? Yeah, I mean, sin, selfishness, we're self-absorbed. Um, I think, I think um, you know, I, I love the church. And sometimes I hate the church at the same time, and it's frustrating because I am the church, you know, and you are the church and, and, and all these things. But especially in our Western context, um, our faith really very easily, we become so self-absorbed and we think everything is in a response or just about us and our existence in that moment. And what that really is, is bad theology. Because that's not what scripture said. God, God is for us. He is with us, all these things. But it never says that it just... And so the whole redemption of his creation is around our little story itself. We get to be a part of that story. And so it, it, it's interesting because when that is our idea, when we lose that bigger perspective, and then we do not see it happening within our circle that we're hoping for, the danger is, is because then it begins to increase our doubt. We begin to wonder, where is God? Just because he's not here, well, where is God? Well, he's out there. And guess what? He is here. And there's this, this really crazy thing that 
when, when we cannot see through the eyes of someone else, when all we could do is see how something impacts us ourselves, we have the inability then to empathize with others. And it just changes things. It hurts things. It hurts the mission. It hurts who we are. And so it's a very dangerous thing. First thing he says is look at the nations and reminds us that God's work will always stretch us beyond ourselves. And then he goes on and says, well, I'm doing something in your days. What is this? Or I'm going to do something in your days. What, what can we take this as? If there was a promise there, what would it be? Now that God's at work. Even when he seems like he's not there, you can trust God doesn't just take a break. You know, he's at work. He's, he's moving. He's preparing. He's preparing us. He's preparing others. It's a reminder of his timing. It's just different. Even when he seems to be still. And it's interesting, it says, you would not believe even if you were told. <laughs> even if you were told, you wouldn't believe it anyways. Isn't it funny? I, did, I read this scripture and I thought, I, all I, wanna, I just want to be in the know, God. Just let me, let me know what's going on. And then instantly God reminded me, you know so much stuff already that you do nothing with. Why do you need more? Just be faithful with what I've told you to do. That will keep you busy for a lifetime, I promise. You know? Moves on. Says that you wouldn't even believe it if you were told, I'm raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless, impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings, not their own. I am raising up the Babylonians. So this is weird. If you know anything about the history of Judah, why would he do this? Why would God raise up the Babylonians, who are ultimately the enemy? Why would God do this? Any thoughts on that? I don't have a voice. I'm not going to talk so much. Come on. Maybe so. Humility. I mean, that would be a pretty good posture changer, right? You think you're the people of God and God uses your enemy to bring justice to you. That'd knock you down a level or two. So he was saying maybe we, it changes our perspective on who the enemy is. That's good. I mean, I think all the time we categorize people, um, the, who the enemy is and why we consider them the enemy or why that would be so different. Anything else? He wants to do a work among the Babylonians. Again, that he is working outside of our own circle. Anything else come to mind? Huh? Yeah, that. Yeah, that it continues to be bigger than just us. What are you saying, Susie? To make us rise up more. Yeah. You know, I don't know if there's a very specific answer to that. When I'm studying this, I'm looking at it. I, I think there is something that says, "Hey, don't forget, God works in all." Works in all things. All right, which was a lesson that they needed, that Habakkuk needed. Was this a shock and awe thing? I don't know. But we know that Babylonia was, they were used, Babylon was used to judge Israel. And I think the thing that sticks out to me when I read the scripture is he starts with this. He says, I am raising up the Babylonians. 
that's a reminder to me that everything, any power or authority that they had was given to them by God, that he allowed it. There's a shift. There's just a reminder that what's going on there, God is still in control. I wrote this down. Is it possible that he is reminding Habakkuk that he is sovereign, that even seemingly out of control things are still in his control? That's what struck me. Scripture continues, they are feared and dreaded people. They are a law. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dust. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping to devour. They all come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all the fortified cities by building earthen rat ramps that capture them. They sweep past like the wind and go on, go on. Guilty people whose own strength is their God. Guilty people whose own strength is their God. So in verse 12, Habakkuk questions God's methods by reminding him about himself. He comes back and he's like, God, did you forget your God of justice, your God of this? He reminds him about himself and reminds him about the other guy. Do you ever do that? Do you ever remind God? Do you ever tell God something he didn't know? You ever do that? Never done that. Um, hey, God, in case you didn't know, these people, in case you were taking a nap, um, what does that reveal about us? What does it reveal about us that we can, can consider God who spoken it was and we feel like we have to remind him, hey, you remember I've been faithful. I've done this and that, or those people at what? You're, you're supposedly this. What, what does that say about us? What does it reveal about us? Huh? That we're not what? Maybe we're not trustworthy in some regards. Maybe it shows us confusion, that we have confusion. We have some doubt. We're confused maybe on some of the ways that God works. Verse 12, he says, Lord, are you not from everlasting my God, my Holy One, you will never die. Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. How is he questioning God kind of passive aggressively here? Do you see it? First, he questions his sovereignty, right? Are you not from everlasting? Do you ever do that? I think he, he goes into even questioning God's loyalty. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. He's questioning their, his loyalty to Israel. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. He's beginning to question his agenda. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up the more righteous than themselves? You've made a people like the fish in the sea, like the sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet. And so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices his net and burns incense to his dragnet. For by his net, he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? So now he's beginning to question God's provision for his own people. But here's the beauty in all of this. Habakkuk's response, just the first verse of chapter two. 
He says, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give for this complaint. What is good about this? Huh? So he's still in all of his confusion and all of his frustration. He just says, I'm going to be still and I'm going to I'm going to listen. I'm going to wait. What else? He submitted. Yeah, so he submitted. It's a new posture. It's not a ac- accusing and what's up with you, God. It's now it's all of a sudden, okay, you, I have a lot of questions. You have the answer. And I, and I, I want to hear these things. What else? Yeah, the, in all of his complaints, he knows. You ever, you, you have a group of friends or people that you could go to and you could just say anything and no matter how off the rails it is, they know your heart. You, you have that? If you don't have it, please find it. We need that deeply. Well, it's amazing to be in a relationship where you could literally say anything and that they know your heart, okay? Um, and he's soul searching here. And I wonder if he's doing that with God because he, he just threw it all out there because maybe he actually knows God already knows his thoughts and his heart anyways. It's not like we hide stuff from God when we feel this. Sometimes we think because we don't vocalize it or tell anybody or say something that is not really there, but it's just as damaging when it's in there, right? And so he waits. He waits for what's coming. That's what Lent is about. Getting in a place where we see the world as it is, our own condition as it is, and we wait on the coming Messiah. Here's the interesting part about the scripture. I will look to see what he will say to me, saying I'll look to see what God will say and what answer I am to give to this complaint. That word complaint, that phrase actually means to, to this rebuke. Like he knows the answer that's coming is going to be a rebuke to him. He already knows that he's God, I'm not. Here's where I am, God. God's big enough to handle our questions. God's big enough to handle our concerns. And our job then is to sit, to express them, to ask God, knowing he has the answers, and to wait. We're going to close out our time, as we always do, in just communion. The interesting thing about studying the scripture is, is uh, you can't study, like Jason said, you can't break it up. It forces you to wait. It forces you to have something, deal with it, and you don't get to have closure yet. But we're just challenged to wait, to press into what we see in the world, in ourselves, and all of these things that's need for the Messiah, and to just wait on him.